Elk Straight Podcast, episode 77 with me, Dan, the fitness man. Thank you for tuning in, taking time out of your day, downloading. Appreciate any reviews, especially those five-star ones. All I ask for this podcast that you tell a buddy, somebody that you think would appreciate a little podcast on cutting the elk hunting learning curve, all the while making yourself the best version of yourself through some discipline, sponsor number one, delayed gratification, sponsor number two, hard work, sponsor number three, and lastly, being accountable to yourself and being accountable to your why, and your why is elk hunting, and elk hunting is what you leverage to make yourself get up early in the morning. Cook your food for the week. Weigh and measure your food. Check your macros, protein, carb, fat. Get off your ass and hang out with your family. Put the phone down. Engage. Work hard when you're at work and walk away from it. Be the best employer, employee, spouse, parent, father, because you want to kill elk. I don't know if that formula makes sense to you, but it does to me. And that's what this podcast is all about. So... Wanted to take just a quick second to tell you what I've been working on with Elk Shape since it's basically my new day job. Yeah, if you guys didn't catch the news on the last one, I definitely dissolved my ownership of CrossFit Spokane Valley and I went out on my own with Elk Shape. Just a little bit more passionate about elk hunting than I am uh, fitness, but I'm very passionate about both and this is where both those passions collide. I've always loved and I will continue to enjoy simply helping people. And if that means just helping you find your why or helping you get a workout program or giving you a tip or tactic to help you basically notch your tag on your bull, dude, that's that's the most rewarding thing I can think of. So uh, what's new with Elk Shape? I'll be quick. We have an online version of Elk Shape Camp and it is launched. 99 bucks a year. Currently, we have 30 videos on there and four PDFs. It would take you quite a while to digest, so we give you a full year access. You just log in and you digest that information as it comes. Videos from me as well as a bunch of videos live from our last camp with our subject matter experts, lampers on backcountry gear and nutrition and food prep, Dirk Durham on not only how to make quality elk sounds, but what sounds mean what and when and how and where with elk calling. We have Josh Jones of Spokane Valley Archery going over technical archery, bow tuning, shot execution, just archery coaching. You'll get to be the fly on the wall and watch him coach guys and see what things you could be working on as well. And then we also have the videos where I'm coaching the nutrition lecture, all the fitness stuff, the push-pull, squat, the injury prevention, the warm-ups, and the two different workouts, including test-out and death race. A lot of good information there. And then the neat thing is, is every camp we do going forward, we're going to continue to film and continue to add videos to the vault for the Elk Shape online. And it's not as good as a real thing. I'm going to tell you that right now. So you, if you see a camp near you, please come. Meet me. Let's make you better. And learn all the things that we have to offer. But this is going to be a great supplement, a great tool. I encourage you all to check it out. All right. And then lastly, on programs, we do have 21 Days to Elk Shape. Now, I could have wrote a one-year program, a six-month program, a three-month program. I wrote 21 Days. I wanted to make a real quick, short, powerful impact on your fitness, on your nutrition, and on your shooting. That's right. Shooting's involved. Shooting under duress. Dope Your Weapon series. It's a downloadable PDF. Once you download it, you probably want to watch it on a, on a computer because you can click links and you can watch private videos that are made just for that workout program. And I would encourage you all to, to get involved with that. That's on our store. And now that we've covered the business end, I wanted to give a shout out to Onyx Hunt. We're going to bring on Zach Sandow. 
He's going to drop knowledge on all the quick, new, exciting updates, and we're going to kind of go over how you can use Onyx Hunt app while you're elk hunting specifically, and I talk a little bit about how I just use it on a bear hunt, and we're going to go into elk plans for 2019 and just some really cool information that I think you're going to find resourceful for when you're doing your e-scouting and you're trying to draw attacks. So we're going to get into that. And then um, right now, I want to get in with Corey Jacobson and hit that two-minute drill. Thanks for listening, guys. Let's get to it. Welcome to the two-minute drill, sponsored by Elk 101. I'm going to sit down and chat with the elk hunting wizard himself, Corey Jacobson. Two minutes on the clock. Hurry up, offense style. Corey's going to drop knowledge bombs, and you are going to get better at elk hunting. So without further ado, here's Corey, and here is our topic of the day. All right, Corey, so last week you talked about the beginnings of your shot protocol. You've just taken a shot on an elk, what you do, some great insight. Now let's fast forward, catch guys up. You, you've got the ribbon where you stood. you got the ribbon where the elk stood. You waited your 45 minutes, and you waited on the backside of the mountain, got your wind out of there and sound. You're at the shot. How do we decide what kind of shot we made? Yeah, so no, and I think it's important to stress here that that waiting is critical after the shot, you know, making sure you don't push that elk because, as I mentioned, that elk a lot of times will just run 100 to 300 yards and then bed down because of the effects of the shot. Once you've waited and then you move forward, it's really important then to analyze what kind of a hit and what kind of a blood trail you have. And being able to read the blood that you find is going to help you understand, did you get a gut shot? Did you hit him in the lungs? Did you hit him in the liver? Did you hit him low in the brisket in the muscle meat? Uh, All these different things that really will help you decide from there whether to start taking up the trail or if you need to wait a little longer. And for me, you know, if there's any any concern about it being in the abdominal cavity, a gut shot, I'm going to wait at least two more hours. I always want to wait three hours on a gut shot because that elk is typically not going to die quickly. But within that first two or three hours, if he isn't pushed, he's a lot of times going to bed down and get sick enough that I'm going to be able to slip in as I'm tracking, see him bedded down, and hopefully get another arrow in him to finish the job quickly. Uh, if I have a double long shot and there's pink bubbly blood on the ground, you know, within 100 yards of where I shot, I'm pretty confident after that hour that I can start trailing and I'm going to find that elk within a few hundred yards. When it gets to that muscle blood, that, you know, just rich red blood can a lot of times be misleading because if you hit low and clip that brisket, there's so many capillaries and vessels and blood vessels and everything down in there that it's going to spill a lot of blood. And that 100 yard to 200 yard range, you're going to be celebrating because there's so much blood, but it's just a flesh wound. And, you know, they're, they're, that hits low, so the blood has easy access to get on the ground. And you might go for 300 yards, and all of a sudden the blood trail just virtually ends. And uh, it's kind of a, a bummer, but when that happens, usually it's not a fatal shot. And uh, your emotions go from high on the roller coaster to bottom of the roller coaster. Uh, when it comes to muscle blood, you've also got the neck, which is typically a little bit darker red blood than the brisket. And the neck's not going to produce nearly as much blood. You're going to find a few drops, and then it's going to dry up. That thick mane soaks up a lot of the blood. And then if you hit a shoulder blade, um, if you hit guts, if you hit back leg, a lot of times you'll get a few drops of blood and a little bit of blood, but the blood trail is going to be pretty sparse from the beginning. And uh, 
just knowing the blood trail and what kind of hit you have can help you determine how far, how hard, how long you wait if you back out. Uh, and then a couple other things, you know, weather, rain, snow, darkness, those are other factors that play into how quickly you get on the trail and, and how aggressive you get when it comes to following that blood trail. Hey, Elk Hunters, Corey Jacobson here from Elk101.com. And if you're like me, you're probably thinking about elk hunting every day of the year and working continually to maximize your chances for success this fall. Well, Dan and I have created a special opportunity for you that I feel will absolutely take you to the next level in elk hunting, regardless of your previous experience. Three years ago, I created the University of Elk Hunting online course with one goal in mind, to make you a more successful elk hunter. The UEH online course contains 45 chapters of detailed elk hunting information organized into 17 modules and covering every imaginable elk hunting topic. From planning and scouting to calling tactics and tracking and every topic in between, the University of Elk Hunting online course is the most comprehensive and complete resource available to elk hunters. And for listeners of the Elk Shape podcast, Dan and I have teamed up to offer you a 20% discount when you sign up. Simply go to elk101.com, click the link to the online course, and use the code ELKSHAPE, all one word, when you check out. You owe it to yourself to invest in the single most lethal weapon that you take to the elk woods each fall. Invest in you. Sign up for the University of Elk Hunting online course and elevate your elk hunting success today. Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan, the fitness man, talking with Zach Sandow of Onyx Hunt. What's up, Zach? Hey, what's going on, Dan? Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure, dude, to have you. Wanted to get you on today just get right to it. Uh, you guys came out with a bunch of new stuff. I don't really know anybody who doesn't have on X hunt, but I guess there's probably people out there that don't. So good for them. They'll get exposed. But a lot of us do. And you guys did some major updates for 2019. I've actually started using some of them. Pretty slick. But before we get into that, who is Zach? What, do you, what's you, what are you all about, man? Like for those that don't know you. Yeah, no, so I've been, I, you know, I'm from Montana, born and raised here originally, and I've been working at OnX for three and a half years now. I actually started right out of college, got lucky, and they gave me an internship, and then they were crazy enough to keep me on for this long. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just working for these guys, I manage the hunt, mark, I manage the marketing team, and so get to work with all our partners and then just kind of help with communications and have an awesome team I work with who helps make the company and myself look good. Yeah, you guys are definitely evolving. Uh, you invest so much back into the company, and it's been it's really been interesting to watch your position grow over time. It just shows hard work pays off, and yeah. you come from humble beginnings, so it's just cool to see a guy like you kind of living the dream, working for an awesome company, and yeah, it's good, man. So. Well, let's get into some of the updates that you guys have come up with this year. Um, I guess we should set the precedent. So for those that don't know, Living Under a Rock Onyx Hunt is not only an app, but it's a desktop, but it's basically digital mapping so you can know where you stand on private and public, which is huge for over-the-counter, Walmart tag buying guys like myself. Uh, it's also evolved to so much more where you have an app that can literally replace your gps 
last week I sold my Oregon 600 because it had been collecting dust for two years now. Sold it on eBay for less than 100 bucks, And it was in mint condition, so whoever got it, good on you. Put it to work. But I am not... I am not interested in buying micro SD cards for each state or any of that. I am super interested in bringing a Poseidon charger, having my phone on airplane mode, pre-downloading all my maps, getting a decent iPhone that has some memory so you can never be limited on how many maps and the quality of maps that you download. I always do at least the 10-mile ones. And I track my steps my tracks all the time where I'm hunting. A lot of times I'll save those tracks, which ends up being like this masterpiece of elk trails where I'm hunting. So I'm very efficient and can kind of get in front of the elk, which has been huge for success. Waypoints, it's obviously important to drop those prior to your hunt on the desktop, have it sync to your phone, then download your maps. Super simple. And the one new feature that I've used this year is that I am putting all my waypoints in a different color for my trail cameras for 2019. So when I can look at it from a macro view, I can kind of see my trail, my, where my trail cams are and not forget where I put them. I do put out quite a few, and that's been really neat. Give us a little uh, overview of what you guys got going, or what you're cooking for 2019, my man. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you summarized it really well there. I think the biggest thing with us is, you know, we just want to provide a tool that you can use no matter where you're hunting, what type of land it is. And what's cool is like everyone's carrying a cell phone with them. And so we're just utilizing that technology and just putting all that information on your phone. And it has a GPS unit, as you said, so you don't need a Garmin unit anymore. You can actually just have one device on there with a a screen with high resolution and be able to see all these land ownership maps, mark your waypoints with or without service and see that location. And then it'll sync between your devices. So you can log in on my phone and it'll pull up all your information. You'll be able to see all your waypoints, all your organization and everything you've done from previous hunts or scouting. And always just be confident, you know, when you're going hunting that you're not worrying about where you're hunting, if you can hunt it or how to get back to a place if you're looking for waypoints. And so Really for this year, you know, we we really value the uh, feedback we get from our customers. We're always getting recommendations for updates or something they would like to tweak or see. And that kind of spearheaded the one of our major updates for this year was just adding to our waypoints and making, you know, colors and also adding 25 different icons just to help with organization. I mean, it's, you know, generic waypoints are fine. You can name them and have them, but if they all just look like an X on there, it's tough to get, you know, especially when you first look at it and you're trying to find a specific glassing point or where camp is or something like that. You don't want to have to go tap on each one and kind of see what it is. Also, if you're hunting an area multiple years, you're going to have waypoints and it's kind of nice to be able to organize those by year so you can just get an organization and see, you know, whether where the elk movement's changing or where you've glassed in the past and maybe there was a burn and so now you can move to a different spot and just get a better idea of that area you're hunting. And so our biggest one that we've had that we just released is just helping with the organization and being able to change your colors. I believe we have like nine different colors you can change, but then also having 25 different waypoint icons, everything from access to cabin, Jeep, you know, and then looking at even down to like mushroom for those morel hunters. 
And then also, you know, on the whitetail front, plenty of stuff there with food plots and tree stands and stuff like that. And so we just want to continually keep evolving and adding stuff. So if there's ever recommendations on other waypoints that we don't have for icons or something that you guys would like to see, you know, you can leave a message on social media. We definitely see those. You can email us, give us a call. We'd take that feedback. And honestly, it, our users are the best product testers out there. And so we utilize their feedback to help improve the product and just continually keep updating. Yeah. So when I had one last day of bear hunting and uh, I think I talked about this on the last podcast, but just so you know, like I, I did a little story on it for Instagram as well and kind of screenshot how I used the app. But I had, um, I got into this basin at about three o'clock and I'm going to fast forward the story a ton, but basically I've been hitting it hard since about April 20th. I've passed on quite a few bears over bait and I've had a couple shooter bears come in at just too dark to shoot. And that's always been my experience with mature boar hunting over bait is those dudes they're not like sleeping all day, but they sure as hell don't come to bait in broad daylight. Like it's just, they're smart and I'm yeah. really picky on how I hunt bears. Like a lot of times I don't sit stands over bait. I set up ground and pound where I have a bait site. I get it running for weeks. I get the established as a qualified food, uh, area. I just wrote an article on elkshape.com if people want to check it out, but I, I watch from about four or 500 yards away and then I'll slip in when a bear gets to the bait and I'll also make it very difficult for them to get back into the bait. You know, I have a 55 gallon drum. I have a small hole cut in the bottom. It's chained to a tree. I stack logs in front of it. They got to work for it. And that kind of buys you time to sneak in. And most of my sneaks are between seven thirty and nine o'clock at night because you have a lot of daylight in the spring. Um, on the tree stand setups that I do have, I don't put the tree stand up right away. I let the bears kind of leave obvious sign as to how they're approaching. It's usually some sort of half circle they'll make to get the wind. They're very, very tricky and baiting's very underrated on level of difficulty when it comes to mature bears. So I won't hang a stand till like generally two to three weeks after I've had a bait being established. And so... If I do have a stand, I usually don't get into it until 7.30 unless there's a bear already on it. And I'll just wait for the thermals to get really, really steady with no question marks. And then I'll slip in. And I tell you what, Zach, like I had two different bears I tried to kill for weeks on end. And I had about eight or nine encounters with, with the bears with no shot opportunities. And then you have to sit in that stand and wait for them to leave or try to scare them off without scaring them, if that makes sense. So I was getting really frustrated. So my last day of bear hunting, I'm like, you know what? Looking back, I actually haven't killed a bear over bait in five years. I'm going to go spot and stock. And I had this one honey hole, and I went back in there. It's very deep. I used the e-bike to get back there. Uh, I, I got to use backcountry e-bikes this year, and I talked them into letting me keep that bike for the rest of the hunting season. More to come on that for deer. In the back, I do a lot of public land mountain bucks for whitetail, and a lot of that stuff's locked gates, but the e-bikes are legal, so it's going to be a game changer for me. Anywho, I got to my basin at about 3.30, and I set up shop and glass this beautiful canyon. You can see about four or five miles. Should have seen a bear. It was overcast, rain on, rain off type day. 
never saw a bear there. I moved to my next glassing station and saw a bear within seconds. And he was in a glade, and I could get there pretty fast. So hopped on the e-bike, jammed over there, got underneath him, and that was the only way to reach him. And then wind was looking really good, and then it just switched. It just did something that I didn't see coming, and the bear was gone. And I was pretty frustrated. I did a 180 and looked down the basin and saw another bear with the naked eye. Got some scope of it. I was like, oh, crap, that's a shooter. It was a tank bear. I didn't. I had never been to this side of the mountain. So I just pulled up your guys' app on like the Google Earth or satellite imagery, I should say, overlay. And I found the opening. And I knew the wind was going up over there just because the sun was hitting it hard. Dropped a bear icon in the opening that he was in. Got on the e-bike, jammed over there. Took me 20 minutes. Um, I left most of my stuff at uh, my my e-bike, and then I just jammed down into this. I mean, steep as it gets, like one bad step and you're going to be tumbling into a brand new side of a mountain I've never stepped foot on, and I'm just following the terrain features because I had the topography overlay on the satellite image and got right to that opening. Checked my phone. I'm like, okay, I'm right here. And not a second later, I heard rocks getting flipped. I was like, crap, knock on. And then literally the bear was 20 yards from me in about two minutes. I never had to move. I never had to do anything but just execute a shot, bear dead. And that was huge for me because I just don't think I just don't think I would have been exactly precisely where I needed to be without your app. And then when I killed the bear, instead of hiking straight up, I used your guys' app to leave a track. And I side-hilled that mountain on an awesome game trail and ended up getting right to an old cat road. So next year, if I see a bear there, I can not bushwhack in. I can take that game trail and side-hill right in with the wind in my favor and maybe kill another bear because I saw two more bears in that canyon while I was skinning my bear out. So I'm always thinking about the future while I'm in the mountains and that's why I'm not afraid to just save as much information on my phone. So that is how I utilized it just last week. Super awesome. You guys probably hear stories like that all the time. Yeah, no, it's one of those things, you know, I love, it's refreshing to hear those and we love hearing them because it's one of those things like we use it and we see our own experiences but when hearing these stories just helps validate that we're doing you know hopefully something right and i think that's an underrated way to use the app that not a lot of people think of but you know like especially over in your country like it's thick and it's tough to find animals and when you go on a stock like as soon as you get down off the ridge it never looks like what you think it does when you're up top from a vantage point and so that's one of those things, dropping that waypoint and then using the map to kind of navigate yourself in, obviously keeping the wind in your favor the whole time. But it just helps you when you get there. You know, you, you always like – it used to be like you'd find a reference point and you're trying to get to the reference point and then you look for another one. But as soon as you drop elevation or go around a ridge or something like that, it looks completely different. And that tree or rock, whatever your reference point, you'll lose it. And so that's one of those, you know, like – One that I picked up very similar to that is I'll drop a waypoint where it is. I'll kind of look at it on the map and try to make sure I know what I'm looking at. And then I'll actually take a picture with my phone of the actual landscape. And I'll kind of have that reference point where I drop that waypoint. 
And then as I'm moving in, I'm looking at those two resources. I'm following the actual track that I wanted to get to, to get to that waypoint. But then as I get closer, I also have that picture from where my vantage was. So I have an idea, you know, I need to, when it, when I get into the red zone and I need to start slowing up and, you know, going very slow and maybe just waiting and seeing what comes, what unfolds, it's one of those things that just helps you, you know, so you're not just stumbling in there. And generally, you know, in my past experiences, when I'm just doing a reference point, it seems like I'm busting them out more often than not, just because I might overshoot it or I might not quite be there and it's moved off or whatever. And so I think marking it and kind of having an idea just helps you, you know, lay that strategy out before you go to make the stock. That's exactly true. And then you got me thinking, um, in some states, you cannot use radios, i.e. Montana. That's a no-no. Yep. And I think Idaho's the same. I don't really use radios at all uh, anywhere in the Northwest, but radios are totally cool. I believe in like New Mexico and Arizona, probably Utah, those Southwest states seems to be legal. And so one thing we've done like in Arizona for like late season elk, which can't seem to draw that tag anymore because I talked about it too much, but uh, that's my own fault. But when I was over there, we would take pictures across the hillside with our phones, bring them into like some sort of app, even Instagram, put it in your story for a second, but don't publish it. And then you can kind of put letters like sector A, B, C, D, and then instead of posting it, just save it, airdrop it to your buddy. You both have the same image with a little bit of like, you know coordinated little stamps on the map of what's what and then when you go over there you can get on the radio and be like all right you know quadrant a lower right or whatever and then you can look on that map you can you know double check with on x because i can tell you if you haven't made a lot of stocks it is always way different on the other side and it seems like it's always steeper and it's always brushier or there's more debris than you thought because it just looks open when you're that far away and yep. everybody's pretty proficient with good glass nowadays. So when you're making these stocks on bears, if you can use radios, uh, it will help. And if you, if you can't, you can still reference your maps that you took. Shoot a little video or a picture, you'll be good to go. You guys came out with the new icons, the new colors. Uh, talk to us about the desktop. If you log in from your desktop, what can you? Do you guys have the draw odds on there yet? Yep. So on our website, we, you know, we've done some stuff with draw odds and we've kind of been looking through and it's one of those things that with like our desktop application, a lot of people are using it for scouting. And so obviously during permit season, you start thinking about what you want to hunt and you start scouting out different areas. And so one thing that was requested from us was draw odds and really with it, it was more of an experiment. We just wanted to, you know, put a couple States out and see how well it's received from our audience and everyone seems to like it. And really what it was is it was a couple key States in the West and then a couple in that Midwest and East. And so we had, we launched nine States this year. We had Wyoming, Idaho, Montana, New Mexico, and then over on the Midwest and East, we had Michigan, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Kentucky. And yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things that it's always nice to kind of see what your odds are to actually draw it. Especially when you're looking through, you have a bunch of points and you don't know, you know, maybe you've never been there. And so you're looking at the maps and you're kind of checking out the type of area you want to hunt to be able to flip back and forth and actually look and see what your odds are for that unit is pretty beneficial. And so 
it's something that, you know, we really went into it. We didn't know what to expect. We just wanted to provide more value for our customers. And so that was a completely free option. You don't have to buy it. You can just go on our website and check it out. But yeah, I mean, we got a ton of great feedback. People enjoyed seeing it. Um, you know, even having like the percentage of public for all those Western public land hunters that want to see, you know, they want to not worry about navigating boundaries or trying to secure access. We also provided that percentage on there so you can kind of figure out which areas or units you want to hunt. And so that was a pretty cool one for us. And I think it's one of those things that from the feedback this year, I mean, we're absolutely going to keep going with it. Um, and we're just going to expand in next year. Oh man, you bring up a good point as far as when it comes to like selecting your hunt and planning your hunt, what kind of best practices do you do e-scouting these critical months? So we're in June, July, August. A lot of us will start hunting August. Most of us will be hunting by September. Okay. And summer flies by. And for me, like I'm like saying no to a lot of hunting and yes to a lot of family time. And I owe it to them because I'm just always grinding. I look by, I look by and summer's gone and I'm like, okay, I should have done more scouting. I say that every year. So e-scouting, can you kind of break down a good formula, not too in depth, but just kind of some good best practices for utilizing the desktop, syncing it with your phone for say a new area? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. On a new area. I mean, it's one of those things like with e-scouting, you know, it. let's say we're doing an over-the-counter just elk hunt. So I know it's going to be over-the-counter. I can hunt in all these different units, but it's an area I've never been to. Really, with e-scouting, the one thing that's nice is, like, you can pull it up on the bigger screen. I can see the aerial imagery. And really what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to find, you know, usually three to four different zones within that hunting unit that I want to check out. And I think they look good. You know, I think there's going to be animals here. I got a good north slope where they're going to be bedding up. I think this will be, you know, I, there looks like there's some water there. I have limited access here, or maybe there's private land and we got some egg fields in the bottom. And I think they're going to go up into the hills on the public. And I kind of just start strategizing where I think these animals are going to be. And I'm dropping waypoints and I'm finding different areas that I want to go glass. And what's, you know, if I have time permitting, let's say it's like right now, there'll be a couple areas I'm going to check out. I like to try to get boots on the ground in the summer just to check it out. I don't want to just go blasting through the entire area and disrupt a bunch of critters, but I'll be setting trail cams and just getting eyes on it and kind of figuring out like, okay, this trail, you know, it's too brushed in. It's a little bit thicker than I thought. So I'm going to have to go come from this area and drop a waypoint. And then I'll be able to delete the one that I had when I was e-scouting that I thought was a good glassing point. Cause I found one that's better about 300 yards up the ridge and I'll then switch those waypoints over and just kind of get a better idea of what it is so I can make a plan. And then, you know, it's all going to be different. The animals don't have the same patterns that they have right now, but if I at least have an idea and speculate on, you know, past knowledge, I'm able to put these different areas together. And then once I check them out, I can just continue to refine my strategy. And then once hunting season comes, then I can go check them out. And what I always think is like have a couple different options because sometimes the animals just aren't there. And so if that one doesn't work, then I can be like, that's fine. I can jump over to the next drainage. I checked that out. I know there's water in the bottom. It looks like there's some good feeding and bedding areas over here. And I can jump to my next strategy or my next plan. And really then I'm not back to square one. If the first one doesn't work out, 
maybe there's a camp there and some hunters beat me in and I want to go to a different spot. Um, so I think the biggest thing with e-scouting is it just gives you options and it just makes it so you're not good. You know, sometimes it's fun to go in blind and just try to learn an area completely from scratch. But for me, like my time is so valuable. Sometimes it's only a couple days in a specific area. And so I really want to maximize my time and be super efficient on, you know, knowing where I think they're going to be. And then I'll go and hit those areas. And if it's not working, I'll jump to my next plan and I'll, you know, keep doing that. So I usually like, if I'm going to an area, I like to have, you know, that two to four different areas that I think could work. And then I'll just go and check each one off until I end up finding animals. Yeah. And I think having all the, all the different plans unlimited really will set yourself up peace of mind the the worst case scenario is being in camp and not knowing what to do but when you're systematic and you're just knocking you know okay check box plan a no bueno i'm on to plan b and you kind of have a hierarchy of where to go first and you're just eliminating where not to go eventually you're going to be where you should be and and i think your success will be a lot more um or at least you'll see animals and get opportunities. Uh, I can't tell you enough how much I've utilized the app. So when we're talking 2019 season, dude, let's get into you. Like what, what have you drawn or, or what are you kind of – is your season plans finite? Uh, I'm sorry, finalized or are you still kind of have some hunts in the air? Yeah, still working on a couple. The draws were tough on me this year. Um, but living in Montana, we have so much opportunity that – I, you know, that I'm going to hit it hard there. The one thing that's kind of unfortunate is Montana always starts on the first Saturday of September. And so since the first is on a Sunday, we actually, our season doesn't start till the seventh. So it's like, we have six days that we don't get to hunt. I hate which that. Is um, but you know, we have archer antelope, so I'll be doing that in Montana for the first little bit. And then, yeah, once opening day comes, I have a couple areas just over-the-counter units not far from Missoula that I'm going to be checking out. Um, you know, archery elk is as good as it gets. I think it's the best, honestly. And so really I have a couple different areas in Montana that I just want to spend some time. I'm going to go get a couple trips there. And then I have a couple other hunts in the works, might be heading over to Idaho, and then also potentially Colorado for elk, which would be cool. So really my goal is to hunt elk as much as i can september through early october and then after that you know it kind of gets into some of these rifle hunts for deer and then potentially some whitetail hunts in the midwest but really when i think hunting season like right now what i get excited for is archery elk and so i'm just trying to get as many days in the field bow hunting elk as i can yeah i i feel you so you didn't draw any tags man you're all over the counter all over the counter this year i love it i was uh oh for three so it was tough and that's including some deer tags and stuff like that but the draws were not good to me this year yeah they weren't good to me either i except for wyoming which i dude i had one one point under max and i drew it last year couldn't go got the uh, medical clearance because my wife had to take care of her so they reinstated my points, so I knew I was going to draw Wyoming, um, and it's not a general tag, so I'm super stoked on that, but didn't draw anything else anywhere and put in for all the places elk. Uh, super frustrated with New Mexico. Haven't been there since 2007. That is one of my favorite places to hunt elk, period. 
uh, late season Arizona, early season Arizona. It's just really hard to draw a tag. Um, Utah, I'm kind of in purgatory. Uh, I need some people to tag, like get their tags or die before I can <laughs> get yeah. a Utah elk tag. Uh, Nevada, I can't put in for six more years. And then Colorado, I'm in point purgatory. I'm double digit, but I can't draw anything that I want. I need to probably burn points there. And then Montana, I didn't put in for the general. I just wanted to hunt. Once I knew I was going to Wyoming, I'd be like, okay, game plan is Wyoming, out the gates. And with whatever leftover time of September I'll spend in Idaho, I should be able to get two elk tags and uh, if they don't sell out. And Washington, I didn't draw. I always put in for some of the – Washington has horrible over-the-counter elk hunting, but their, their you know, limited hunts are – some of the best in the West. Uh, And I speak from experience. I've drawn it once and didn't draw anything in Washington. And then, um, I don't put in for Oregon or California, but that pretty much covers everything though. Um, for me. So I'm pretty much, my plans are pretty much dialed. Going to give it, you know, well, actually Idaho draw results do come out, I think tomorrow. So when this podcast drops, folks should be finding out if they, what they did for deer antelope and elk in idaho i should draw my antelope tag which is always fun um but yeah you usually go for antelope don't you in montana yeah yeah so i've i growing up i always did the rifle tags you can get those pretty easy and those start in october and it was nice because it was kind of in between archery and then before the general big game season for rifle um but last couple years i've been doing archery antelope and man that is a blast it's one of those things that it might be the most frustrating mm-hmm. animal on the bow, but you get so much opportunity that you just learn so much about stalking and patience. That's the biggest thing with it is patience. Cause those, I mean, they'll be out there, you know, a couple hundred yards and there it's just impossible to get on them. It is so flat and you just have to wait, you know, you're more hunting instead of hunting the animal, you're hunting the stock. You're trying to find an animal that's in an area that you actually can get on them. And so it's one of those things that like, there's kind of two theories. One is super patient and you know, you're waiting for one to be in the perfect spot where you have a little topography that you can get in a drainage and get up on them. Or the other one, and I've done them both is just sheer number of stocks, you know, just persistence and like, You'll try to get on a stock, they'll bust you at a couple hundred yards, maybe a hundred yards, and they'll sit there and start looking at you and, you know, do that circling around you and not get any closer. And then you go back to the pickup and you go find some other ones and try to do that. And honestly, it's just a blast because you're hunting all day long. It's long days. It is hot, but you know, you can kind of get into that late August, September, early September, and the weather starts getting pretty nice. The evenings start cooling down and it's just, it's a blast. I enjoy it. Last year I was able to decoy one in. I had that, uh, be the decoy hat, that antelope hat and a brown sweatshirt with my cousin and oh yeah, working one buck that had a couple does and he kept kind of s- splitting the distance between us. He wanted to come beat us up, but he didn't want to leave those does. And so we were kind of working him. And then all of a sudden another one came from our right that we didn't see. And he wanted to come check it out. And he came in to just over 40 yards and I was able to shoot him and that was actually my first archery antelope. So that was pretty cool. It was like a three year endeavor that I was trying to get one down. But I honestly, like I really enjoy doing it. It's kind of the kickoff of this hunting season for me. And 
it's something that I think I'll continue doing in Montana just because, you know, it, it's not the easiest way. If you want to shoot an antelope, if you want to shoot an antelope with archery, you probably should sit in a ground blind water. That's probably your best bet. I'm not very patient, so I struggle with that. So I like the spot and stock thing. But the other thing is like, I just like that it extends my season. I can get started August 15th and it'll go all the way into December. And if I did an archer antelope hunt this year, for example, I wouldn't be able to hunt until September 7th. So it gives me a full three weeks that I can get out and start hunting. Dude, I know. And antelope are delicious. I've covered that. They are. I like spot and stock. Um, I don't mind sitting water. If I'm going to seize action, um, that's going to be huge. But if you're sitting there in a hot blind with potentially rattlesnakes coming in to visit you, uh, not seeing anything, it's it, it can be purgatory. It can be pain. It can be just, uh, I don't know, make you go insane. But it's worth the meat. I wish I had more antelope tags. I'd like to stack up enough to just grind up a bunch of antelope burger but usually one is like okay take as much steak off as possible but uh i love antelope meat i think i'm gonna just have one tag this year i thought i was gonna draw nevada for sure i got a lot of points in nevada for antelope Um, but i always put in for areas that are fairly close to me because nevada is a big state i've drawn some deer tags where i was like central central nevada and it like it damn near 20 hour drive from Spokane yeah. and I can get to Arizona in 22, 23 hours. So it's just, you know, the closer to Idaho, the better. That's still about a 12, 13 hour drive. Nevada's a big state. Uh, yeah. Have you hunted for antelope outside of Montana? Nope. I've actually only done it in Montana. I tried to do North Dakota when I was over there going to school, but they actually had a couple tough winters. And so they can't, they closed the season the year I started. Mm-hmm. So it's been one of those ones I'm, you know, right now I'm just doing the point game for Wyoming. I'm going to build those up a little bit, but Wyoming's the next one on the radar. Um, but really for me, like especially archery hunting them Montana's about as much as I can handle for a couple weeks but I'd like to get to the point where I could fit a couple in each season I know and I wish that Montana had more antelope closer to me closer to you you're out of Missoula yeah it's just not the case you got to head pretty I mean the I would say the further east you go the better hunts there are yeah by far most of the antelope are there you can get some in that southwest corner there a little bit but even that i mean it's still for me to hunt antelope i still have to go about two and a half three hours oh minimum and then south dakota have you ever hunted over there no that's one on the list i think that's an underrated state for mule deer as well i have some buddies that go over there and hunt and i I just think those rolling hills i think that's fun country especially when you're archery hunting spot and stock like that's a good time and what's cool with those hunts is you just you see so many animals you know like it's not like they're there's all this timber that they can be you know like when we're elk hunting over here there's days where you might not see many animals but over in that more open kind of rolling sage it's just fun because you can just glass a ton of animals and you can kind of be pickier you can you know sit from a distance from a vantage point with spotter and binos and kind of figure out which ones you want and if you don't like them, keep moving and find some other animals. So South Dakota will definitely be on my list, not this year, but 
hopefully next year I'd like to do something in South Dakota, Nebraska for some deer and antelope. Yes, and one of the guys who worked for me at CrossFit, his mom has a random house over in uh, South Dakota. Just found this out. And I was like, where exactly is it? I can't remember the city. But I was like, sounds like it's a little bit out in the country. And I was like, well, is it in the Badlands area? And he's like, yes. And so I am going to meet his mom here shortly in the next couple weeks, and I'm just going to be like, look. I want to rent out your house and I want to hunt. I really want to hunt mule deer in South Dakota. And I think I got to figure out the dates. I I think you and I were talking like both of our Octobers are kind of have a little lull in them. We we hit September super hard and I'm waiting for November for deer. And so I would like to do some sort of mule deer hunting in that back end of October when it starts getting good and obviously archery. So that might be the ticket. You and I are talking about doing an Idaho deer hunt in October just uh up in that skinny part of the state which has got so much timber it should be pretty frustrating very low odds hunt could pay dividends though but october's that one month i'm always trying to figure out ways to get out because it's really hard for me to find stuff that's worth my while uh and i'm you know there are some good elk hunts obviously you can still elk hunt archery in montana but uh i think i've said this before my game plan of picking up a leftover general montana tag that i haven't done that since 2013 those just don't exist anymore no no it's gotten so popular anymore that i mean it used to be not an issue at all but now i mean they're selling out pretty quickly and i mean it's not even last year i believe there weren't any leftovers i might be incorrect there but it's one of those things that you know we have a lot of opportunity we have a lot of general units and a lot of animals so you know people are definitely coming out here to hunt and you know experiencing just this awesome state and i'm a little biased because i'm from here but the fact that i can go just about any direction a ton of the state is general for deer and elk and if you buy that tag you can hunt archery all the way into rifle so you have like 14 weeks that you can be hunting which is pretty cool yeah dude well i'm excited to see you in person in about two weeks um you and somebody from onyx is coming over to participate in the elk shaped camp 2.0 cover it on your guys's story a little bit and expose people to what we do at camp you're a fitness guy you wrestled in college right football in college oh football oh. you look like a wrestler what position were you like safety or something or db i was a running back then yeah oh, so, so you're fast school over in north dakota yeah you're uh, pretty sick dude quicker than fast but it was a it was a good time. Sports were definitely a big part of my just youth and then into high school and then college and then I started, you know, wanting to hunt more and ended up getting lucky working for On X and now I get to kind of shift my focus over to that, but still like to uh still like to do CrossFit and stay active. So you're still doing CrossFit um Injuries wise, because everybody's, you know, there's a stigma with CrossFit and injury, but I think there's a stigma with any sport. You do it hard enough, you could get hurt riding a mountain bike, falling off, skiing downhill, running into a tree, or falling, trying to do something stupid. Um, And CrossFit's no different. Like, you can do too much, too soon, too quick, poor technique, terrible coaching, ego, um, all that kind of stuff. Have you had much injuries doing CrossFit? haven't so i've you know i mean 
it's one of those things I did it for like four years and I didn't have an injury. And I mean, I had injuries lifting for football in college. And I think you're right. It's one of those things that what's What I love about it is you don't have, everyone thinks it's like you have to do all, you know, all these super complex movements with super heavy weight and you have to do what's prescribed for the workout. But what's cool is I can be working out with someone who's 20 years older than me and has no sports background, but you can scale it down and it's still very difficult, you know? And so I think it's one of those things that you can just, it's so unique and you can scale according to your abilities and still get one hell of a workout. And so I really didn't have any issues. There's been times, you know, you get sore, that happens, but as long as you're smart about it and you know your body, there's, I mean, you can do it and it's the best workout out there. It's really fun. I enjoy the community aspect of it. Yes. I think the biggest thing, like when people start getting hurt is because they're not being smart. They're not listening to their body and they're trying to push and they're letting their form, they're sacrificing form trying to win, you know, just a basic workout on a Wednesday class. And it just, you know, (laughs) if you're smart about it and you're just going in there and you're making sure you're sticking to your form and you're not putting on too much weight, you're not going to get injured and you're really going to enjoy it. So as the season approaches the next couple months, obviously we've said it before, there's no substitute for just literally rucking. Like you put 30, 40, 50 pounds on your pack and you go and you just get the miles in, you get the elevation in, you get your heart rate up depending on where you live but there is no substitute for that you're doping your weapon how do you start balancing rucking uh scouting but still doing crossfit uh leading up to september yeah so i mean you know during the summer yeah i'll be hitting that and just going into the classes and stuff but really as we start getting closer i try to get a couple hikes in a week even if they're quicker just get some weight on we have some trails right outside of town and just maybe substitute those on off days, scale back to maybe like three days a week of CrossFit or something like that, three to five. But then the other thing is I really like to use scouting as a way to prepare. I mean, it's, you know, you're putting your pack on and you're putting your pack on, you're in the field and you're covering miles. And I think that is the one thing, like when you're, when you throw a pack on and you're doing a ruck, you are just you know, you're just hiking for maybe an hour or whatever. But when you go scout, if you do a full day scouting, that's more relevant to hunting because I think that's the one thing that's tough to prepare for is the fact that you can't, uh, you know, you can't really, um, get your body used to just like the everyday, like soreness of just walking all day and standing all day. And so trying to get some of those scouts in, do some trips, get out in the field and actually like have the most of the stuff that I'm going to hunt with checking trail cams and doing stuff like that is one of the things that I like to ramp up before the season. Yeah. And I love putting cameras out. What cameras are you running? Honestly, right now I got a mix of about four different ones. I pick them up on like camel fire for discounts and stuff like that. So you camel fire. Yeah. Everything from like Bushnell to stealth cam. I have some older ones that I don't even remember what the brands are, but I don't have like one brand that I'm sticking with. I just find them on, you know, Black Friday sales and stuff like that and kind of piece together a couple different ones. Yeah, I'm the same way. I have like a piecemeal variety pack. Um, I've actually owned quite a few trail cameras and I have thrown away at least four or five this year that just I can't get them to work anymore. They've their time has come. And, you know, a lot of times when you buy trail cameras, you got to buy the lock box with it and 
even that, I'd say 100% of my trail cameras that have been stolen have all been locked, screwed, yeah. bolted to a tree with a lockbox cable, and dudes either cut the tree down or just broke the box, broke into it, and got their camera. And, uh, you know, that doesn't happen all the time, but it's happened, uh, you know, I'd say half a dozen times to me. And that sucks yeah. because, like, the camera's a couple hundred bucks, the case is at least 30 bucks, the lock, and then if we were billing my time, my time to get there, the gas, and then my time to hike in, put the camera out, and check it. It's just like, man, you owe me a thousand bucks. It is what it is. So this year, I've been kind of slowly replacing a lot of my cameras with the Stealth Cam 4K. And yeah. And I can get it on Camel Fire from time to time for a decent price. Um, and what I'm doing is I'm now just, I'm literally just climbing trees. I'm get, putting cameras so far up high and getting them pointed down cutting limbs so the tree branches and then trying to put them on video mode because those those cameras can hold such big memory cards now i can just make sure there's enough batteries get it high get it pointed down walk away and ideally i just leave cameras out year round that's my yeah. that's my goal and then just come in replace batteries swap cards and be on my way and then if a camera's in a spot that's just not good then take it down and find a spot that is you know yeah um, my favorite my favorite thing to do is get those cameras that have been out all year. I have three or four left to get that have been out for more than a year, and it's just like I can't wait to check the cards, um, especially those winter pictures when you see them migrating out or you catch predators. Uh, so you just never know what you're going to see. But I would say Camel Fire has completely – like I've stopped looking at their website for the time being. It's just too much, uh, too much out, and I, <laughs> it's such a sweet little addiction. It is. It is. You pull that up and you can always talk yourself into more hunting gear and especially like, you know, you look at like Father's Day sales or Black Friday and there's always discounts on there. But the camera thing is cool. You know, it's something Montana change. You used to have to pull those before the season and now you can keep them in as long as they don't transmit the picture back to you. Um, but it's one of those things that like growing up, I didn't do it as much just because you had to pull them dirt or before the season. But then as I kind of started checking out new areas, I wanted to lay more of them out there. And the one thing that's cool is like the anticipation when you're walking up to a camera, especially if it's an area that you know there's some traffic in there and there's some animals, like that feeling you get right before you check it, it's not, you know, it's definitely not like when you shoot an animal or anything like that, but it gets you that, you know, it just gets you that kind of like butterflies in your stomach when you're trying, you know, you're excited to see what could unfold in the next couple of weeks and what animals you're going to be looking for once the season starts. And so it's one of those, like when I'm checking new areas out, I like to set cameras cause it just motivates me to go back in there and check them out. And then it just gets more information before I go hunt. Yeah. So when I'm spring bear hunting, I've, I'm, I'm literally packing at least one or two stealth cams in my pack because a lot of the bear country that I, that I go into overlaps good elk country so if I find like I literally probably put out four or five cameras in the last four or five weeks because I just kept packing a camera and it was so nice to be like, man, I wish I had a cam. Oh, I do have a camera. And all of a sudden my pack's a little lighter and I'm excited because now I have a great opportunity to learn a new area and see what's going on. And, uh, you know, cameras are cool. They're not the the end all be all. They just are a supplement to a good, healthy scouting program, um, yeah. which is great. When did Montana change the rule so you could keep them out? 
I believe that was two years ago, two seasons ago they switched that. I didn't know that, man. I always thought you had to pull them out. That's cool. One of my buddies lives in Montana, or I'm sorry, he has a place in Montana. It's like a four or 500 acre area out of, uh, it's out of Bozeman. It's actually closer to Big Timber. Gotcha. And south of there. So it's like right in the middle of like a lot of Yellowstone activity. He gets a lot of like Yellowstone bears showing up. They have a lot of grizzlies killing cattle in there. And uh, this guy's pretty diehard. He's got about 75 trail cameras in 400 acres. Yeah. I try to imagine that. And yeah. so the fishing game come up all the time. And he runs all his cameras on video mode. And he's just got hard drives and hard drives of all the years. And anyways, the fishing game will come up and ask him for footage. And he's got all the wolves, all the grizzlies, and uh, they've actually even trapped wolves, trapped grizzlies right there outside of his ranch. So um, because they've had a lot of cattle get killed by grizzlies, and then um, they try to relocate them. The grizzlies usually show back up. Sometimes they got to kill them or whatever, but trail cameras are pretty informative. All right, man. Well, going into this season, I'm super stoked. We covered all the Onyx stuff that's coming out. Uh, we need to get uh, one of these days a discount code for elk shape listeners. We'll have to talk about that offline, but I want a way to send them over and get them at least a trial um, and provide a link where they can just go and see for themselves if it's not worth their while. Memberships wise, you guys have a couple different options. You can go state by state. You can go basically elite and have all the things. Can you give us a price point right now? So if guys are budgeting for their 2019 season. And this Onyx app, it just got bumped way up on their, you know, their must-haves. What are they looking at for options? Yeah, so we have really we have three options. So the first one, you could just install it. When you install, you get a free trial. You get seven days to try everything. You get, you know, for the state, you get the land ownership, you get private, public waypoints, the whole nine. But then after that, if you don't want to buy it, you still get a GPS on your phone. So you still get aerial imagery, the topo map, and the hybrid. You can mark waypoints and see your location. And then you get the roads and trails. You just don't get that public-private land ownership. That is our premium membership. And so that's one single state would be $29.99. We generally have some discount codes out there, um, like right now, you know, and this will be after. But there's different codes for Father's Day and different holidays like that. But um, that gets you the reason, you know, we – we have to charge is because this data is getting updated each year. And so that costs money to get the data from the different counties and state agencies to get that in and make sure it's as updated as possible. And so one state, our premium membership is $29.99. And then if you're, you know, hunting multiple states, we have our elite that gets you all 50 states, public and private for $99.99. So a hundred bucks a year. Awesome. What's the Father's Day discount code? Father's Day discount code is just dad, and that one will go, so, you know, a couple days it'll end on the 17th after Father's Day there, and okay. that's 10% off. And that's going to be past this pub- published, so we'll work on something for you listeners in the meantime, check the show notes, but I think, like, dude, best money spent, $99.99 a year for, I like to go elite because I hunt multiple states. And I also like to scout states that I don't have a tag for yet. That's huge for me. So to not have the elite just doesn't make sense for where I'm at. But if you just are a dude who hunts one state, that's cool. 
get the one state. And, um, and then for those that take my advice and are coming out from out east or Midwest and you're like, Dan said to hunt the same areas year after year and keep learning, that's where Onyx is going to – you can really start blowing up your maps and dropping all the waypoints, all the wallows, all the bedding areas, where they're feeding – Keep track of the uh, the tracking mode of their elk trails, and then pretty soon your map's just going to get bigger and bigger, and you're going to have a really huge square mile area, up to 20 square mile area that you've learned over the years. That's why I love that over the counter action. Wonderlust is cool, but if you want to tip the odds, really go back to the same areas and keep expanding your knowledge. That's what I do. That's what everyone else should do if they want to continue to be really successful and crush the elk hunting learning curve. How long was your elk hunting learning curve, Zach? Oh man, it was, I mean, growing up, I did more like my elk hunting was, you know, some archery, but my dad was a rifle hunter and he picked archery up kind of when I did in high school. And then it, uh, that was a, you know, it took a couple years. I had a couple times I got super lucky and ended up getting some bulls that were just super fired up to come in. But it definitely took a couple years and even now I'm still learning stuff, you know, I'm picking your brain and I think I agree completely. This, the places I'm having success are the areas that I keep coming back to and I'm learning from. And so it's one of those things that like, if you learn an area, you start to figure out tendencies and I can be like, Hey, I know that there's generally animals here. If during this time of day, if I go in there, generally I'll find something and you know, there's one area that I've been hunting right outside of town that I rifle hunted early on and we saw maybe one or two animals. And so that made me want to go back and archery hunt it. And as I've continually refined it, now we're starting to get into animals every single year on the same ridge and they're coming up and they're bedding in the same spot going down to water. And I think it's just one of those things. It was just time in the field and just going to the same areas year after year. But it's, uh, you know, elk hunting's tough but i think it's one of those things that just you know staying persistent not getting you know too beat down and just stay optimistic because it can change in a second and i think you know time in the field's still better than being at the office so for me i'm just trying to get as much time in the field as possible and continually learning always learning always evolving zach appreciate your time guys thanks for listening and if you want to learn more we'll have some notes and some links in the show here to get you where you need to be. Keep grinding. September is going to be here so soon. Um, Do something every day in the name of better elk hunting. Leverage elk hunting to make yourself the best version of yourself. Zach, good luck with the rest of your draws and uh, look forward to probably sharing a camp with you in October. But more importantly, I'll see you in a couple weeks, my man. Yep, looking forward to it. Thank you for having me on. Awesome, man. Well, stand by, you guys. We'll catch you on the next one.